Welcome to Grover Center's Conversations on the Street, a Shelby County Bicentennial podcast project hosted by Grover Center and recorded in its exhibit, The Streets of Old Shelby. Over the course of this next year, we'll be taking a look at the fabric of Shelby County, how our past informs our present, and what legacy means to different people. Each episode will examine our historical events and figures, as well as contemporaries on the chosen topic through conversational interviews. At the end of each episode, we'll also be featuring musical selections from local musicians. This is Conversations on the Street, and we're so glad that we ran into you. When we think about impact, we tend to focus on the here, the now, but real change takes time. The seeds sown today may never be fully grown in our lifetime. We may never taste the fruits of our labor. In 1829, the little town of Shelbyville was changing. The empty swampland that was Public Square now had multiple businesses around its perimeter. A courthouse was nearing its completion in its center, and the population was no longer a scattering of families, but had ballooned to just under 500 people. The local government was finding its footing, the lots of land were selling, and so, in many ways, the community was thriving. Yet, one area seemed to elude the young town's inhabitants. A dedicated, caring educator. It wasn't that Shelbyville hadn't had educators in the past, you see, but they all failed to make a positive impact on the children in the community. Two of the three founding fathers of Shelbyville, John Walker and John Hendricks, wanted something better for their children, and they found that in Fanny Kent, wife of Alaphala Kent, the first minister in the town. Fanny had left Vermont with her husband earlier that year and arrived in Shelbyville from Columbus, Ohio, on horseback. The townspeople were generous. The first night, the pair stayed at John Hendricks' cabin and soon after moved into a cabin offered to them by Sylvan Morris. As they settled into the community, John Walker and John Hendricks saw potential in the young Mrs. Kent. They, along with a few other townspeople, pulled their resources together and constructed a two-story brick building. The top floor was to be the Kent's living quarters, and the bottom was Fanny's schoolhouse. Among the families represented in her classroom were the Aldridges, whose father Hiram was the first county clerk, the Mayhews, including Royal, who succeeded Ovid Butler as county agent and ultimately went on to serve as state treasurer, state superintendent of common schools, was a member of the first state board of agriculture, and was on the governor's committee, which supervised the opening of the first state school for the deaf. The Peasley family was also there, whose father William was a circuit judge and helped establish an experimental railroad, the first in the state. The Walkers, whose father John helped found the town. And finally, the Hendricks family, including Thomas, who went on to serve in the Indiana House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, as the Land Office Commissioner, a U.S. State Senator, a Governor of Indiana, and eventually the Vice President of the United States. In fact, Thomas, later in life, said of his time in Mrs. Kent's class, quote, She gave me a taste for learning and an inspiration for true living. Fanny Kent passed away in 1844 and unfortunately wouldn't see all the successes her pupils would go on to accomplish.
but our legacy lives on in more than one way. In 1942, the George E. Kent Trust Fund was established, and the income earned off that fund went to the George E. Kent Scholarship Award. George was the son of Fanny, and his stepdaughter Anna was the one who established the fund in her will. The award is to be given annually to graduates of Shelbyville High School of good moral character, good citizenship in school, satisfactory scholarship, ability to do college work, and who need and will use the money for obtaining a college education. To quote Mary McFadden's Biography of a Town, It has been a long time since a young minister brought to a village on the frontier a bride endowed with the blessed attributes of a teacher. But young men and women of the town, struggling for a college education today, can easily reach back through the years and touch the hands of Thomas Hendricks and Elizabeth Ann Aldridge in a mutual gesture of thankfulness for their coming. Today, we're joined by Jennifer Jones, the Executive Director of the Blue River Community Foundation. Thanks for joining us today, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I think one of the things that we should start off with, um, for anybody that might not know, what is a foundation or a community foundation? So that question, as with many things with the community foundation, can be very broad. But a basic definition is that we are a charitable, nonprofit, tax-exempt organization supported by many unrelated donors with a goal of building permanent component funds. Usually a community foundation benefits a specific geographic area, and we support Shelby County, of course. Um, We can support broad-based charitable interest, um, but we also uniquely can play a leadership role in the community. Especially in the last 30 years, the community foundations have found themselves being conveners and bringing people together for um, larger community needs, aside from just the, the funds that have been set up um, for specific needs within the foundation. How does a foundation work then? Where does it get its support from? So donors, of course, they set up endowments. Um, Endowments are intended to last forever. So unlike when you may make a donation to directly to an organization or to a specific cause that's going to get spent um, quickly, with an endowment, we those funds are invested along with all of our other funds, and we only grant out four point five percent of the earnings from that fund every year and that ensures that the fund goes on forever Um, so you know some people like to see their donation make a difference right when they make it and that's okay but the community foundation model is that we are establishing funds that are going to last forever and provide that support to organizations always what's the history of the blue river community foundation So the foundation started in the late 1980s, and interestingly enough, it was a Leadership Shelby County project. Um, They had a group that was looking to bring a YMCA to Shelby County, and during their work, they learned about the community foundation model, and they realized how vast and all of the um, different areas that community foundation could affect in their community. They decided to go after that instead. And when you mention that there was a vast amount of projects, like what type of projects would a foundation support or areas do they support? We have field of interest funds and so you can set up a fund and I want my fund to just support educational projects or environmental projects. We also have unrestricted funds and those funds allow us to do any project. So in the recent years we sent out the survey that we've talked about before trying to find out why residents that don't live here anymore 
have decided to leave or why people that are working in Shelby County don't choose to call it home. And what we have done is taken their their uh, feedback and those are projects that we're going after. You've seen a lot of public art projects recently in Shelby County. Um, we partnered with Girls Inc. and did a DE&I workshop series. Um, so we're, you know, quality, any quality of life projects that we can help out with, um, those unrestricted funds allow us the flexibility to, to address those. And looking at those different projects, I'm sure that there are a variety of um, metrics of success that are used. Uh, what makes a project, especially one requested through a grant application, successful? I think, um, for one, that they know whatever their goal of the project is, that they have some facts to back up that this is a need in our community. It's not just something they've pulled out of a hat and decided we're going to try this, that, that, that there's def- a definite need. Um, and I think most importantly is that it's sustainable, that once we grant them the funding and they do what they say they're going to do, that it doesn't just end after that, that it's able to be, you know, carry on for however long it needs to. And what type of challenges does a foundation uh, face? As I said earlier, especially with the younger generation, a lot of people don't see the value in endowments. And that's our that's our basis. That's our model. Um, so you really have to find somebody that understands and values that we're planning for the future and that we're, we're planning for support for this organization or project for as long as there are humans walking on the earth. And some people, that's just not, right? That's just not their thing. That's not what they're after. So that can be hard for us when we meet with somebody because when you give us money, it's going to be endowed and it's not going to pay out, you know, right away the full amount that came in. So some people don't like that model. You know, they want their dollars to work right now. So that can be um, challenging when you're, when you're meeting with somebody that you know they're, maybe I can help them out with this, but our financial model isn't how they would like to work. I was curious about this idea of legacy through the lens of a foundation, this idea that um, we have something that is being passed on to another generation. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of legacy through the lens of the foundation? So I think just about everything that we do is, you know, related to legacy. I brought this quote with me um, because legacy also can be very broadly defined, I think. So legacy is not what's left tomorrow when you're gone. It's what you give, create, impact, and contribute today while you're here that then happens to live on. So, you know, legacy, my children are going to remember the love they felt from me and memories that we share together. But at some point in time, my children will no longer be here. And there may not be people on the earth that remember who I am anymore. And they may not know that I cared about a certain cause or what have you. But through a foundation, we can carry what that is, that passion that you had for whatever it is in your community forever. So even when nobody knows who Alex was, you've set up this fund with us. We know we know what you cared about and we can continue that and support it forever. Can you give us an example of someone that has set up an endowment that has carried on that idea of legacy that has uh, made a contribution, uh, an impactful contribution? Um, I could give you lots of those stories, but I'm going to give you one in general um, or one specific example. Um, We've talked about this before. When you think of legacy, you think of somebody famous, somebody that was an elected official or or famous in whatever reason. They came from a prominent family. Um, We had a donor in 2006. Her name was Mildred McRae. Mildred lived on a farm out in the southwestern area. There's actually, you know, if you've been in that area, it's very hilly. There's one very large hill out there. I think it's the biggest one. It used to be called McRae Hill. Her family owned a farm there. And she was the last um, 
and her line of relatives. She had two brothers. They passed away before her, and she didn't marry or have children. So Mildred did some estate planning, um, very forward-thinking, and she planned for a great deal of her money um, and her estate to come to the, the Bluebird Community Foundation. She lived until she was 91 years old. Um, and she set up two different funds with us. She set up an unrestricted fund that I talked about earlier that the foundation is able to use to address any needs in the community that they feel like we should take care of, help take care of. It also helps support our community grants. But she also set up a designated fund and she listed 10 local organizations that she cared about. And um, her estate was $4 million. And so that fund, because it's been endowed and earning, you know, it's been gaining interest for all these years, it supplies every year. This year, I think each of those 10 organizations received $26,000 from that fund. And they get that every single year. It's not money they have to raise. You know, in a year like the pandemic, they didn't have to worry about fundraising or are we going to get that money. They get it every single year. And it usually grows a little bit every year. And it will always do that. Um, and for Mildred, the, you know, she's picked these organizations that she cared about, but what the foundation, any community foundation would do is, let's say one of these organizations no longer exists someday, we will be sure that those funds go towards a uh, organization that is addressing this, the same needs in our community. All funds make, it, you know, have a legacy and are, are helping, but that was just somebody, I mean, I think you and I, I mentioned to her to you one day and thought for sure you knew who she was, right? Because she really means something to us. We've got a plaque in our office and her picture and this uh, story and you know, her history, but nobody else knows who she was or, you know, you know, they're sure these organizations are receiving these checks every year and have no idea who she is. Um, but her, um, her foresight and her, her generosity and how she loved her community is going to carry on forever. You have to know that about her, right? And when you see what she's done, but there's also the Depries. The Depries have multiple funds with the foundation. It's very clear what their family valued. Um, arts, they have a fund that helps support opera education in Shelby County. Um, a lot of students wouldn't get a chance to ever learn about the opera at all, but because that's something they care about and thought that people should know about, in the last several years, up until the pandemic, all third grade Shelby County um, resident, or children got to attend Indianapolis Opera, would come to Shelbyville High School, and they got to see a children's opera. And they love it. And that may be something they would never in their life ever get to do. But because the Depries provided that, we'll always offer every year some type of opera education in Shelby County. I could go on and on, really. I mean, we have so many of these types of funds. So I guess from there, we've talked about what a foundation is, how they work, and the areas that they support. That leaves the why. Why should someone give to the Blue River Community Foundation? And how do they go about giving to the foundation? I guess the why is just very personal. If you care about your community and you want it to be better and to always be getting better, then you should give. Um, I'm so glad. I didn't really know much about the foundation at all until I worked there. And now that I do, um, my family as well as my husband's family have set up funds because I want Shelbyville to be great. I want my children, after they've gone to college or done whatever they're going to do, I want them to come back. I want them to have... Um, you know, be proud of their community, have that pride in the community and want to come back. I want them to see projects throughout Shelby County that have their family name on them and they're going to take some ownership and they're going to care hopefully more about their community. Um, so I think that, you know, you shouldn't give, I guess, if you don't care about your community, right? But if you do and you don't want to see it fall behind um, and you want your family to want to stay here and other people to want to raise families here, then you should give. Casting a vision forward, if we have community members that haven't let their community fall behind, 
what could Shelby County look like? Well, I think if I base it on the surveys that we sent out a couple of years ago and the projects that we have been working on, I think that community looks like a welcoming community. I think it's a community where we um, all care about each other, but we also care about those new people that are moving here, visiting here. Um, I think it's a community that is proud of their history. You know, we can all be so different and have different family history, but we all share the history of our community and how this community came to be. I think a really great example of that is the Shelby Mills project that we're getting ready to, to complete in this next year. It's going to have lots of different components of history, um, of the history of Shelby County, particularly in the area that it's located. But as we've been doing the project and we talked to people, um, they don't know these stories that we didn't know. We, we learned these stories from you and Sarah. Um, but we would like to see a community that knows these stories, knows where they came from, know where they're going, and they're proud of it. Jennifer, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yes. So we've spent a lot of time talking about um, financial contributions to the foundation and what your dollars can do. Um, but that isn't the only thing that a foundation can do or that we're interested in talking to people about. We want people to share their time and talent with their community, too, because that's just as valuable as their dollars. Um, we're in a unique position that we also often find ourselves, and we talk about this in the office a lot, as much as we love when somebody brings in a big donation and we think of all the things that we can do with it. We love when we're able to work with maybe an organization comes in or an individual and they have a project they want to work on. And we can say, because we're that middle person, we work with the government, we work with nonprofits and individuals. It's so rewarding to be able to make a connection between somebody. It may not be that somebody has money you need, but hey, you need to go talk to this person because they're working on the same project or they could really help you out. Um, it's not all about money. At the, you know, I would never want anybody to think that's what we're about. Um, we, we have some other initiatives that we've started in the last couple of years, and one of them is the Serve Shelby website, where we're trying to connect volunteers in the community with organizations that utilize volunteers. So that website um, has any organization in Shelby County that utilizes volunteers, um, kind of a general description of what they do. And then we often, we encourage nonprofits when they have an event or something that they need some volunteers for to let us know when we put these call to volunteers out. Um, we want to help strengthen our nonprofits in our community in any way that we can. Um, we also, you know, just coming to meeting with us, maybe you're somebody that has, you've got board experience and you've got time on your hands and you wanna serve on a board, you wanna help some way, to connect people with the board or to be a volunteer somewhere that they could serve on is always going to be a need. Um, so we would never just want someone to think, oh, the, the foundation wouldn't want anything to do with me. I don't have a lot of money to give. There's so many different ways that you can give to your community. Um, and also, even as far as financial contributions, you don't have to be wealthy. Um, you know, of course, we work with people that do estate planning. Your gift can come later. But if we can work with you beforehand and know what you care about, to make sure that we can be the best stewards of your fund as we possible possibly can be, um, that's what we want to do. But a small grant or a small donation, you know, recently we raised money for the Shelby County National Imagination Library Fund that lets any child in Shelby County that's eligible to participate in the fund to do so, or the program. And um, you know, if you give twenty-five dollars, it supports a child for a whole year. So any size donation really makes a difference for somebody.
Established in 2018, Encomium Ensemble is a three-member group based in the central Indiana area that plays a unique blend of music focused on the style of early music. Using a variety of instruments, they play songs from all over the world, some of which date back to the 1500s, and one song can even find its origins in the mid-500s. The word encomium itself has historic roots. A Latin word derived from Greek, it refers to a speech or piece of writing that praises someone or something highly. As many of the ensemble's musical selections have been used as a setting for poetry or hymns, the word is certainly fitting. For today's featured set, Enconium Ensemble will be performing Hydaspace, Ganges, and Marathon, all of which are featured in Arthur Clifton's An Original Collection of Psalm Tunes. Join us next time as we dive deeper into the pages of Shelby County history.